everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dolphin, and on this week's episode, we have one of the most beloved members of the USA Men's National Team, Nastush Kenjige. You'll be hard-pressed to find somebody in the national team setup who has a bad thing to say about Nash. A good guy, a good role model, a good inspiration for anybody who's looking to find the secret to success on the pathway to the national team. There are few better places to look than the example laid out by Nastish Kenjige. So we'll talk to him about his journey as he prepares to take on Ireland in the historic first bilateral tour hosted by USA against a full member nation starting on December 22nd in Florida. But first, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to the podcast on Patreon to help keep it going on an episode-by-episode basis for as little as $3 a month. Go to patreon.com to help support the podcast today. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also powered by Dream Cricket and Musa Cricket Stadium at the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, we have a regal guest on the show, the king of the desert, Nastush Kenjigay. Nash, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. Oh, king of the desert, yep. <laughs> It's you. So there's two ways that I know Nastush Kenjige. One is how he first introduced himself to me as the only Nastush Kenjige on Facebook, which I'm pretty certain to this day is still the case. And he's also the king of the desert. So please explain for the people who don't know the genesis of what these two things mean. How did you get the name? Nastush Kenjige, because it's an extremely unique name. Yeah, it is. I think it, it still holds uh, true that I'm the only Nastush on Facebook. I'm not sure if, the, if I'm the only king, though. <laughs> um, so I was, I was born in Alabama. My parents were here for about three, four years. And they wanted, they wanted a name that suited someplace here. And in Arizona, they speak a tribal language called Navajo. And in Navajo, Nastush means king of the desert. So, yeah, that's where my name came from. <laughs> so how did your dad or your parents both have this affinity that they developed for the Navajo people? Being in Alabama, your dad was working at the Tuskegee Institute at the time. Your dad is an agricultural farmer for people who don't know. So that was part of the reason why he was at the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, which is famous for those things. But prior to that, he was in Arizona doing some postgraduate work. So how did his relationship develop with the Navajo people to the extent that he wanted to pay tribute to them by giving his son a name out of Navajo? That's a tricky question, Peter. Um, my, my dad likes to read a lot and he writes a lot too. So I think it's just his curiosity of the place, of the people, of his environment here that led him to just be curious about everything around and then he just decided well let's just give him a name that's unique yeah apart from that i'm not sure i i really never asked because when i was in india nostrish was a hard name to pronounce and all my teachers in school just pronounced it wrong there was not a single teacher who got it right so i would go by nachu i would go by 
Nachiket. So I've, I've had two, three names that are not Nostosh. But once I came to the US, they find it easier to pronounce my name here. And Nosh is easy too. So no complaints now. But in India, I had a lot of complaints. I can sympathize with you because I'm a lifelong charter member of the Mangled Names Club. Della Pena, for some reason, is a tongue twister for a lot of people in New Jersey, even though there's quite a sizable Italian population in New York, New Jersey. But I don't know why Della Pena just was a handful for a lot of people. So hearing you describe your experiences with, yeah. with Nostash. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't think Della Pena is that hard. Yeah. But it's just some people prefer pronouncing some things right and they just don't get some part right. So I guess, yeah. The worst I had was growing up with telemarketers. Telemarketers really don't exist anymore. But growing up, any telemarketer, we could spot within 10 seconds in a phone call if the person who was calling actually knew who the hell we were as a family or if they were some random telemarketer because the dead giveaway was they couldn't pronounce our name. And, and that was the signal to just hang up. If they couldn't pronounce a the name, they clearly didn't know who the hell we were as a family. Hang up. Next call. That's a good giveaway, yeah. <laughs> don't get your name right. You know, it's it's a call that you don't want to listen to. <laughs> Did you have those experiences at all? Did you have telemarketers harassing you and your family and getting your name wrong growing up in India? Um, the thing in India is they don't they don't go by your name. So they don't care about what your details are. They just start from what they want to sell. So they skip that part where they try to ask you what you do or what's your name. It's just straight to the point. They want to sell X, Y, Z. That's it. So I didn't have to deal with that. Lucky man. Yeah. Now, one of the other unique things about you, mm-hmm. people who are not aware, and I'm pretty sure this is still the case, you've got, is it four or five siblings in your family? I have a lot of cousins, but it's just one brother. Just one brother. Okay. You yeah, got one I brother. Of, yeah. I have about six, seven cousins, and we're all close. Um, we grew up together. We went, it's, it's mostly like Back in Chikmanglo, it's all all of us live together. Not together, we live close by. So in our holidays, we would spend all our free time in somebody else's house together. So it was a lot of hanging out with all of them. So we're still very close. Yeah. You got one brother. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was, it's a younger brother, I believe. But amongst your family, you, your parents, and your brother, you're the only American citizen. Yeah, just me. Not even, not even my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for the entire life of his <laughs> it's been a source of the sibling rivalry you've got the american identity he, he doesn't <laughs> he, I, yeah that's one thing he always is envious of like he even he's not an american citizen even my dad my mom they're all indian citizens so it's just me and i keep giving him that to him. <laughs> i keep letting him know that i'm an american every now and then but now i've applied for his green card so I don't know. It'll take about 15, 20 years. So let him wait. (laughs) (laughs) So explain it for people. So you were born in Alabama. That's another unique thing about you. You might be the only international cricketer. I'm fairly certain who was born in Alabama. Of all the places you could have been born in the U.S., that's where you're born. So born in Auburn, Alabama. But soon after that, your family went back to India, correct? That's right. Yeah. And your dad, we touched on a little bit earlier but he's an agricultural farmer he's also done some writing in terms of you told me once he translated books in the local language in canada in uh karnataka your dad is a man of many talents your dad is like the dosekis uh <laughs> man no yeah what you don't realize is i think he's a bigger fan of you uh, <laughs> he just yeah he was so so the first time 
he he heard about you was when you wrote our articles and covered USA cricket and i told him about what you do and how you started watching cricket how you started writing about it and he was so curious he was like how is he even doing that <laughs> i haven't seen anybody in the us following us cricket and just writing about us cricket so he keeps a check on you all the time yeah he just wants to know how you're doing but yeah he he does he does write books um that's his part time i would say hobby um he's translated one or two books from english to a local language kannada and uh, he's also written with some of the prominent writers in our language yeah he just loves doing it but that's a side gig so pretty your dad Toseki he's the most interesting man in the world that i know pretty tenjige he's also an agricultural farmer and he has the finest coffee beans in all of karnataka uh sure i mean i don't think he'll claim to have finest beans but we do grow coffee um come on you got you got to you got to sell your product nash what do you mean no 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 you got to you got to hawk it <laughs> yeah let's uh, we'll keep it for the end where i can just give a shout out to coffee <laughs> but yeah we do grow coffee um we are we are farmers by my dad is a so we grow coffee um does your family grow any other crops or no um yeah so after he finished his studies here he always wanted to go back because we had we have a lot of plantations back home so we grow coffee and along with coffee we grow pepper cardamom but they they're just the um supplementary to coffee it's run through our family so my grandmom has been doing it my granddad so it's what we do so their plan was always to just get education here and then go back to the roots when they were here for those two three three four years that's when i was popped you say that's what we do it's not what you do though you escaped you got out of the family business how did that happen <laughs> if not for cricket like i'm so thankful for cricket i had a masters degree in biomedical engineering so i always knew that i'll be coming to the us just to work so in 2015 i came here to work as a biomedical engineer and for the 2 3 years between 2015 and 2017 i worked as a full time biomedical engineer and then i think cricket just pulled me back like in india all i did was play cricket and it was it was something that i didn't expect that it would happen um it was the rewards of all those years of hard work the sacrifices just the persistence that something happened of this nature in the us um so if not for cricket i think i don't know maybe i would have had to go back at some point and look after the plantations or but right now i've just told my brother to look after it so he's he's in line <laughs> he's getting, he's getting trained is the one under my dad and he's getting he's he's being shadowing my dad so he has to grow up and make sure he looks after those responsibilities at least for a while now <laughs> now you said you played cricket growing up in Karnataka and you referenced Chikmagalur you're from Chikmagalur in Karnataka but you went to college the earliest scorecard i can find for you on cricket archive is playing for the Dayanand Sagar College of Engineering in the Bangalore Cricket League. So uh, how did you pursue cricket and to what standard were you in the Bangalore pathway while you were doing your education there and cricket being a part of that? Oh, have you looked up yeah so those scorecards are from the engineering days it's funny you say that because even in my school days where I studied in Lawrence there would be days so there was a something called a paper score so if you scored a 25 not out then you would be on the paper the next day or if you took three wickets you would be on the paper 
So whenever I played in school and got a three, four, or scored twenty-five, we would collect all those paper cuttings and then put it in a book. So I have a lot of those from school, but I guess they're not in in the online archives. <laughs> but yeah, even when I was growing up, like uh, my dad always insisted that I always had a backup. I would continue to play cricket right through, but he always knew that he always wanted me to have a backup. So he just made sure. at whatever stage i was playing cricket i had something to fall back on so he made sure that i did my engineering i didn't want to do it he pushed me into it i had no clue if i wanted to do engineering or what not and then he also made sure i got my masters done so when i was doing these these the colleges the schools they all supported me right through they were okay with me not attending class they were okay with me playing games all the time i'm just thankful for all the support right through those times and if not for the support from my family the teachers and all the mentors the coaches i wouldn't have been where i am now you talk there about making sure that your teachers were okay with skipping classes you could play cricket so when you were going around new york city fixing x-ray machines were you just pretending to look at the machines and fix things or did you actually know what you were doing um i don't know if i can go on <laughs> i think i did a good job um It was a very challenging job. Um, I had to drive around New York, go from hospital to hospital, and you know fix equipment. But at the same time, well, like, well, I, 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 interrupt there. Take us through a typical day. So, when for, again, for people who aren't aware, you touched on it a little bit. Your first job when you came to the U.S., you cricket was not at the forefront when you first came after you got your master's. I think you came to Virginia originally because you had cousins or, or friends in Virginia, and then you worked your way up to New York within a few months in late 2015 or early 2016. But your first job, you were in either Brooklyn or Long Island, and you would go into the city to fix, go from hospital to hospital, fixing medical equipment or diagnosing issues with medical equipment, so that you could then order the parts to get them fixed, and that could be. X-ray machines, MRIs, CAT scan machines, high high grade medical equipment. So take us through a typical day. What was a typical day like for you when you first were involved in working these jobs, and especially as you started to rediscover cricket in the New York City cricket scene from five a.m. six a.m. until ten o'clock at night? Take us through a typical day in the life of Nastish Kanjigay. Yeah, sure. Um, so before, like you said, before I rediscovered cricket, it was pretty easy. I didn't have any other responsibility to cater to, so I would wake up at about seven, seven thirty, and then I would get my whole schedule of where to go and repair what. So I would drive to any place in the borough, and there would be there would be times when I would have had to drive to Boston, Maine. It was actually all of the east side of U.S. So I could be driving to northeast, I could be going down south to Philly. I would start my work at around nine, and then. Go about finishing jobs until five thirty-six. So at that point, I didn't have anything else to do, and it was good money. So I guess I was just living a life that usually people do. And then in a year and a half, cricket came back to my life, and then that got me excited because now I had something to look forward to every day. Like that is something I wanted to do. So, but at the same time, I couldn't quit my job because there was no contracts or there was no money in cricket at that point. so i would make sure i would make sure i put up my training so i would go to the gym early morning at around 5:30 or 6 and then finish up my gym training running and then head to work straight from there and then work the whole day and then wherever i ended up 
So uh, there would be times when I would end up in Queens, in Bronx, and then I had to drive all the way down to Jersey. So I would practice in Crick Mike's. So the guys there, they know I would leave my work at 3.30. I would reach Jersey Crick Mike's at around 5, 5.30 or even 6 through that traffic and whatnot. So it would be the rush hour. So it was about two, two and a half hours of driving straight to Crick Mike's, get my practice done, and then go home at 8.30 or 9. So that, that was my schedule once cricket started. And I had no nothing to complain about because that is what I enjoyed doing. So I was only complaining about nine to five when I was supposed to work. <laughs> the rest of the time, I, I was in my elements. I was working out. I was happy. I was practicing what I knew best. So those were the days like which I miss. But now since I don't work, it's a lot easier. So I can I can be flexible during the day and see what works when and then figure it out. And this was a five day a week activity. This was a five day a week routine for you. Yes. Yeah. This would be on the five days and on the weekends, we would usually have games. So I would play games in Jersey, mostly in Jersey and some games in New York. That would be on Saturday, Sunday. Yes. Now, part of the reason why you were doing this fanatical schedule during Monday through Friday was because at this stage, you had attended an ICC combine, an ICC America's USA Cricket Combine in New York City, which is where you were first discovered and identified. That was at Van Cortlandt Park in the summer of 2016. And that's when you were identified and invited to a USA national team camp in Florida that was centered around the CPL when the CPL had still come into Florida. And that's when you discovered there was this opportunity that existed. You could, you could go play for the USA national team. Not only did you discover it, I think your parents first discovered it then too. They had no idea what the hell was going on and why you were pursuing this lunatic schedule uh, in pursuit of playing international cricket for USA. Part of why you were doing that was the eligibility rules at the time. The rules have since changed, but ICC had a quirky loophole. Even though you were a citizen, and by rights, you really should have been able to represent USA immediately as an American citizen. They still wanted to enforce a requirement that to demonstrate your your allegiance or your commitment to the cause you had to prove that you were coaching or contributing something to the local cricket community x amount of days per year i think it was 100 days per year and, and what was considered 100 days per year was eight hours eight hours of work equal a day so if, if you did this four hours a day going to Crick Max in the evening to do coaching or, or local development work at Crick Max. Four hours was a half day. Doing it two days in a row would equal one day and you had to just do this nonstop. And then if you did it on a weekend too during the winter, that would be a full day. That was one of the reasons why you're doing this. When you told your parents, what was their reaction? <laughs> it's funny. Um, so all of this time when I went to the regionals, the not the regionals, the, the selections in New York, I told my parents nothing about it. So all they thought was, all I was doing was working because I didn't want to tell them mainly because they had lived through all these disappointments of me not getting picked through the age ranks of 13, 15, 17, 19. Like there were times when I would go for zonal selections, state selections, Ranji, I mean, not Ranji, state selections and not get picked. So at this point, I was like, I'm just not going to tell them. I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to try. And if I get picked, they'll obviously know. So during the whole course of about four or five months, when I first attended the trials in New York, the indoors place that you were there, and right through the games where I did pretty well, they knew nothing about it. And it was only later when Ricardo Powell 
called me out. So I was driving from work. I was working at Maine and it was a Friday. So I was supposed to come back home the same day. So I was driving back home and Pavel called me and he said, you have been selected for the 30. You have been shortlisted for the 30. I just pulled over. I couldn't control my emotions. I just, I just started crying. And I remember I called my dad. Um, it was around 4, 4.30 in the morning and he wouldn't pick up. I called my mom and she didn't pick up. And I think an hour later, he called me back and I had to tell him the whole story of me attending the trials from New York, the indoors place to all the games that we played in between. And then I told him I'd been shortlisted for the 30. And I think he just broke down too. Like, it was unreal. Um, at that point, I just realized, like, it's now or never. Like, I could have... So they asked me if I wanted to do the three... If I wanted to wait for three years or just put in the 100 days of work. I told them it's 100 days any day. Like, nobody gets this opportunity. Um, and I'm so glad it all worked out well. I had to put in all those hours of coaching and development and make sure I'm training too. So... All those days of hard work just has got me here. But again, like this is only the start. I'm just grateful for whatever has happened and we'll see how it goes on from here. You had a pretty successful double life there, hiding all of this from your parents. Did you ever think about uh, another career in the CIA or the FBI as a, as a secret agent? No. <laughs> oh, I think I did a good job. And yeah, after that, they started reading the articles of what was happening, the cricket scene in US because they didn't know much about cricket here. Yes, back in 2003, we had played the World Cup and my dad used to tell me back then that US has a team, you can go play in the US, but it, was, it wasn't it was something that we spoke seriously about or it was, it was way down in the future. So we didn't think of it at all. So, and then they had to catch up, they realized what was happening. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of unraveling. <laughs> You, so you referenced that 2004 is the champions trophy that USA was in USA played Australia and New Zealand and they got absolutely right. slaughtered in the two games they played in England in the champions trophy that year but being a cricket fan you were aware so it wasn't like you came to the US in 2015 and it was like oh my god they play cricket here you actually had an idea of some sense that there was a national team at the very least even though you might not have known the extent of club cricket what was your impression or your initial impressions of club cricket and local cricket and the cricket you were first exposed to when you came to the U.S. that then inspired you or connected you to the point where you then applied to go to the combines in the Bronx and Van Cortland Park where you were first identified? First, I think it was a it was a bit of a shock because, of course, I knew the USA was playing cricket and that played the 2004 Champions Trophy, but I wasn't sure of the extent of which the club systems were and the kind of cricket that was played locally in New York. Because when I was in Virginia, I knew there was a lot of cricket in Maryland, but I've not had not seen any players or had any conversations with any of the cricket guys. So once I saw the amount of cricket that was being played in New York, and there, I don't know the, the numbers, but there were plenty of leagues that were happening. There were more than 50, 60 teams playing in four or five different leagues. I knew that was something I could do in the weekends for sure and then take it from there. But as in when I played more games in New York, even the quality of cricket that was being played was supreme because most of the players were from the Caribbean who had played good cricket in Jamaica, Barbados. And when they played club cricket, it was like they wanted to win. It wasn't just, you know, just play for the weekend. Yes, it was recreational, but... They would still train once or twice a week. It was, there was still a serious 
form of cricket that were playing so i was shocked but and then i just i just went on with it but i definitely didn't expect there would be so much cricket at the time when i came here in terms of the quality facilities there's obviously great disparity in terms of what you would have grown up with in india if you're playing for your engineering college i'm imagining you were playing on turf wickets or fairly good quality standard of a facility compared to in new york in particular there's no turf wickets it's all artificial wickets putting aside the infrastructure issues that exist in the U.S., how would you compare the quality of player and the level of challenge that you were exposed to in India and the standard you play there compared to the initial club cricket and league click cricket you were playing in New York in particular? Um, I think in India, when I played club cricket there, the first division um, club teams in Bangalore were of highest quality. Um, you had all the the guys who are playing in the Ranji team now and for India, they were all playing Division One club cricket in India. So be it Mayank Agarwal, Manish Pandey, all the guys who are from Karnataka, they were all playing in the league there. So, And the facilities, like you said, the turf wickets, they're all of highest pedigree. So coming from there to here, it was, I would say, the kind of cricket that's played here in the US is very different. They're more aggressive in nature. In India, I found that they were more skillful in terms of being more street smart they were they would use their hands they would use their feet it was more of skill work and in the u.s i found these guys could hit it big in new york like the jamaicans all the west indians they relied more on hitting big so if they hit a six it would go over the parking lot it would hit crash into a sears so that was a change that i had to india in india it was more of just grind it through you bowl good area there's a lot of spin so if you have to get, score a hundred, it's a well tough fought out hundred. But here they would, if good ball or bad ball, they had the power to clear clear the stands. So it was more about adapting more than anything else. And I think that may be stronger as well because. But at the same time, like if they're going for big shots and if they're looking for scoring shots all the time, then I realize that even I'm in the game all the time because they're going to offer more chances. And. In Bangalore, it was a lot of two-day games, um, even the Division 1, Division 2, it's two-day games. So you bowl with more attacking fields, and it's more about patience. But here, we play a lot of 50 overs, 40 overs, so it was it was a more fast-paced game. So it was just about, about that adaptability. When did you realize you were good enough to compete for the national team in the sense of within club cricket. Forget about being invited to national trials in Florida and what Ricardo Powell had asked you and other selectors and administrators asked you about, do you want to commit to this 100-day requirement or do you just want to wait out three years and not worry about that? That's one issue. The other issue is there's a very huge and thriving club cricket scene in terms of money, money in club cricket with things like the U.S. Open and a whole lot of other private tournaments that are run on holiday weekends, whether it's the 4th of July or Memorial Day weekend or Labor Day weekend. For people outside of the U.S. who aren't aware, some players can get $500 a match, $1,000 a weekend, $5,000 a weekend if they're coming from the West Indies in particular. You see Andre Russell come out to a lot of these events, Sunil Narayan, Ravi Rampal, other players. Nicholas Puran is a regular player who appears at some of these events. And the USA players, or the people who are on the USA radar, they are constantly traveling around even before the central contract structure came into place a couple years ago with ODI status. So at what stage did you go from being just Nastush Kenjige, the random club cricketer who nobody knows about, to all of a sudden you started getting phone calls from people recruiting you and asking you, hey, can you show up to this tournament? We want to fly you out to this tournament. Can, do you want to be part of our team? 
Yeah, so first when I started in New York, it was a team called Columbia Cricket Club. I did pretty well there, but at the same time, when I was doing well there, I just got it. I got I got a call from the combines, so I was involved in the combines region too. So once I started doing well in that circuit, the guys who were in the US team, they started tagging me along for the, their teams. Um, that helped because I could then just play along with them in all these major tournaments that happen around the US. But I think in terms of belief and in terms of how, of when I thought I was good enough to get into the US team, even at that point, I just remember telling myself, irrespective of if I make it or not, I just wanted to give it the best that I had. And I've always had the self-belief. I think that's one thing that's in me all the time that's helped me get to where I am. And for me, that comes from preparation. I know I prepare to the best of my abilities, irrespective of the conditions, the situations. And once I'm preparing well and giving it my all every day, then I know I can reach where I want to reach. That's always been one of my biggest philosophies. And I think it comes from my dad. He's always pushed me when things were not going well, even in India. So in New York, when I got drafted into the combines and then I was playing well in the club cricket, I always knew if I just keep doing the right things and just doing what is supposed to be done and not worry about who calls me and what happens when I go do there, if I don't do well. I think it was all about just staying in the process and in the present. And regarding money, I if I remember I played, even after I got selected for the combines, the 30, I remember I went to Little Rock and I went to two, three more places playing for free. I always believed that money will come when it has to. I've never chased money, even though it's it's funny to say because yes, you need money to live and stuff, but always believe that if you take care of the stuff that matters and if you give if I can give my time, my effort to cricket, cricket will take care of me. I've always believed that. So money followed me later on, but it's never been my priority. Even now I don't go to teams that offer me the most money or anything like that. So it's just been cricket, cricket and I'll continue to do that way because it's just what I believe in, it's always different for different people because people are in different stages of their career and they have different priorities. But for me, it was always cricket first and everything else second. You mentioned Columbia Cricket Club. For people who aren't aware, I was also at one time a member of Columbia Cricket Club, though not at the same time as Nash. But a number of the players that you would have played with, so like Ajay, Ajay Chopra, Madura, guys who've been around the club for a long time. I was around there and got to play in, in the scene. So I, my six degrees of separation, I can say I am from the same club as a U.S. <laughs> national team member. But the standard of cricket at Columbia that we played in the club cricket team there it was not the standard that would attract the attention of the USA national team. So again, I guess what I mean from that standpoint is not not to be disrespectful to my fellow Columbia cricket alumni in uh, New York City, but on a just a very realistic sense. Was there a tournament or a sequence where you can think of where somebody called you up and invited you or was recruiting you where you, it kind of clicked in your head like, oh, this isn't just some like random pipe dream. I've got like, oh, I, I want to play for the USA national team. A lot of people say, oh, I want to play for USA. I want to play for USA. I want to play international cricket. Where it went from that to person X called me up, like aside from Ricardo Powell, you know, somebody else in, in, a, in a club team in one of these franchise events called you up and it was like, oh, geez, like they actually want me. Like they must think I'm pretty good like maybe I do actually have a shot at, at making this happen yeah there were plenty so one is I think um, in New York I was playing I was also playing for Atlantis Cricket Club and 
Steve Masaya, he was playing in the same league and we played against each other. So Steve, I had watched him play in the 2004 Champions Trophy. So when I saw him playing in New York, I connected the dots. So I went and spoke up to him. I spoke to him after the game and he was pretty impressed. He was actually more impressed with my batting than my bowling, which was strange. So <laughs> at that point, Did you pull out the reverse sweep against Steve Masaya's seed? <laughs> that was early. So at that point in 2016, to be frank, in India, I never worked a lot on my batting. It was just bowling because it was hard enough to just manage college exams, assignments, and then cricket practice. So whenever I went for cricket practice, it would just be bowling, fielding. So it was never batting. I never put in any effort on my batting. And in 2016, when, no, 20, yeah, 2016, Steve told me that I, that at that moment, I told myself, okay, hold on. He thinks there's something in my batting, but I'm a bowler. So at that point, it made me realize if, if that could take me a long way. And then one thing led to another. Um, there was a tournament in Little Rock, um, Arkansas, that I played, um, where all these big guys were playing. And I defended four, I think it was four or five runs in the last over to win the finals. That, that helped me get some more tournaments, some more teams calling me for other tournaments and then ended up playing all the other tournaments. So it was one, le one thing leading to another, but my focus was always the camps and the trial games that were in, in our schedule. So I would always have my eye on those and then play these tournaments as a stepping stone to do well in those trial games. And the stepping stone from those games got you into the national team. You got your USA call up for your maiden tour to go to Uganda in May of 2017 for World Cricket League Division Three. And the tour started off in South Africa. You guys went to Potchefstroom at the start of that tour. And then you worked your way to Uganda for the first official match against Oman. When you first got the call that you'd been selected to tour with USA for the first time, take me through how you received the news And then also, what was it like and what did it mean to you to put on the USA uniform and suit up for your first ever international match? So before Uganda, there were those trial games and that was back in Houston where I did well. That was un unreal, like getting the 5-4 in the trial game. But before that, I remember I went to South Africa. I quit work at that point. I, I said, I'll, this is the time to quit. So I went to South Africa to train in January because in New York... There wasn't much going on. It was snowing. It was cold. I couldn't find any place to practice. So I thought I'll go to South Africa. And there I actually met a lot of guys who are here now. So I trained along with Shadley and Connie Dry. They were in their first class team over there in Free State. I stayed there for a month with those guys. And that gave me a lot of confidence coming back to Houston here to do well. And three months later, I was invited. I was I was chosen to play for the U.S. in Uganda. When the call came, I was in India. I was training in India at that point. I was with my parents when the email came to my inbox. I couldn't have chosen a better moment. So I was with my brother, with my mom, dad. I got an email and it was all flashing over all the social media with those graphics and, and introducing all the players. It was unreal. Like, that is what, what you want to do. Yes, you want to play for your country. I was thinking of India when I was in India, but Now, when I moved to the U.S., you always want to play for the country that you grew up in. And so I, I always believe like U.S., it's a place where if you do well, you'll always go higher. There, there's, it's all about how much you put in, how much you get. So it was unreal. Um, Uganda, it wasn't a tour that we did very well in. Um, I think we should have advanced. We didn't advance. 
but it was a tour of mixed emotions. Um, the first game against Oman, I hardly remember a thing. I just remember standing in a line for the national anthem in the beginning. It was raining, and then nothing in between. It just went in a flash. <laughs> I think I had a seven or an eight over spell, uh, just one wicket, but nothing that I can, nothing special in that game. But the whole tour, I think we should have done a lot better. Um, but the the way in which the team welcomed me in, including Captain Steve and uh, Steve Taylor and uh, the coach Pugudu, I think he's had a big impact on me as a player and development and stuff like that. So it was just in- un- unbelievable. Today's episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. Located at 5515 McKeever Road in Pearland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288 and a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. For more information, call 7 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. You say you don't remember much from that day, but you you took one wicket. I tell you what I remember from that day. That game was played at Entebbe. And all I can remember from that day is during the national anthem in the early parts of the game, there was this biblical swarm of flies that descended onto the field and was basically attacking everybody <laughs> and like during the national anthem i've got this picture i think it was you and maruno maruno patel where there's just yeah. flies all over the both of you in the front of you and then exactly, yeah, yeah. steven <laughs> right, taylor right. when he was batting around the game like he had to pause multiple times because he was just trying to like swat all the flies out from his face <laughs> and under his helmet it was, it was very peculiar and i thought like is this how it is every time yeah i think that was just a unique appearance there were a few other games that were down there. I don't think they were like that. But I remember that your wicket, Zeeshan Maksud, now the current Oman captain at the time, he was a regular player in the team. Now he's the captain. So it's, that's a pretty good feather in your cap for a first international wicket. No, I just think you're being a little bit modest with <laughs> how you characterize the memory. Caught by Ali Khan. Uh-huh. So I'm assuming that was caught in the deep or it may have been caught short mid-wicket. That's usually where Ali Khan was fielding it at those sequences. Yeah, you're yeah. right. He was at uh, deep mid-wicket. So I remember that wicket very well. But at that point, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who Zishan Makshud was. So now since you tell me, I know it's a big wicket now. Yeah, I, he tried to hit me over mid-wicket and Ali took a very good catch in deep mid. He lost that game. And like you said, it was a disappointing tour, all things considered. It took a last day miracle from Elmore Hutchinson basically to to save you guys from being relegated in the last match against the host Uganda. Uh, but you finished the tour with seven wickets, which was the second most on the tour. Stephen Taylor had 10. He took five, I believe, in that went against Uganda on the last day to overtake you in the wickets list. All things considered, how would you evaluate how that experience was for you in the context of the team? And what did you take away from that to then want to focus on and work on to continue getting better? Coming into that tour, there was a lot more pressure on the guys who were already the senior players. So we had all the seniors in Timra Allen, you had Steven Taylor and the guys who had already played for a long time, Elmore, Timbal. So for me, it wasn't 
there was a, there was not a lot of pressure i just wanted to enjoy myself and thinking looking back at it now like i think i was a bit naive too like there's so much that i've learned in the last 2 3 years like that that i could have used back then but that is what experience is all about uh um, reverse sweep you didn't use the reverse sweep on that tour notch that's why you say you couldn't <laughs> get promoted you've learned that you picked up the reverse sweep in the switch hit since then i remember in that tour yeah it was i batted a lot with elmo i remember having i think it was a 60 ball partnership or a 80 ball partnership as well where i would just block out all the balls and let him do the hitting um even in the game against uganda i just remember blocking 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 and he would just come on strike and hit it all over the place and i remember thinking damn how how, how does he do it so easily <laughs> so i've tried to pick his brain as well so trying to get better with whatever i can um in terms of bowling it was a i wouldn't say a very good tour but i was quite happy with the performances especially against canada as well canada was a strong team back then in that tournament at that point i was happy but at the same time i knew i had to keep getting better because you just can't remain stagnant at any point and say okay this is it now so soon after the tour i had remember having a chat with pugudu asking where i could get better it wasn't a good atmosphere at that point because we were we didn't get promoted so still remember going into his room and asking him what where what we can do and where we are headed and i went back to india and then started working on a few things from there earlier you said i was working my jobs in in new york and around the northeast and i was pursuing cricket but i still had to make a living and you said i can't just quit my job i still have to make money but then you followed it up with oh i quit my job to go to south africa to play cricket and hang out with shailen and skogbeck and corney dry and whoever else i think you left out tina sabreen and a few other names in there so this is one of the things that i've heard to what extent i don't know how much of it is true but you have cycled through maybe more jobs in a very niche field than perhaps anybody in the biomedical equipment industry <laughs> how many jobs did you either you either quit or were fired because employers only give you 2 weeks in america you get 2 weeks leave that's it so <laughs> yeah playing for usa is a huge honor but they want somebody showing up to the job who's actually going to show up at 9am and fix the equipment and playing for USA is not going to help get their x-ray and cat scan machines fixed and their mri machines fixed they need somebody to do that you go through a bunch of jobs because every time you went away on US tour and this was this was why getting central contracts was such a big deal and getting odi status because it meant a player in your position didn't have to quit a job every time you wanted to go on a tour you could now focus on cricket full time but how many jobs did you actually quit or were fired from over this whole 2 to 3 years kind of process in order to continue pursuing your true passion which was cricket it was quite a lot so i'll let you in on a secret i i got fired more than more than the times i quit the job <laughs> so there were times when i actually got fired from three jobs and it wasn't pretty but <laughs> at that point it was if you ask me like I, i i don't even know why at that point everybody kept saying i was stupid i was this don't do that this is us but at that point it just seemed the right thing to do like every time i got fired i said all right now it might come across as a joke but at that point i just said okay never mind next one <laughs> next one so all i was doing was looking at it from a short point of view from from the job perspective i was just looking at next six months i was looking at what tour was coming up and then just making sure I worked just that much to get across and then by the time the next tour came along I either 
ask them for leave, which they wouldn't give because like you said, it's just not even, I think it was 10 days of absence for a year. So they would either say no, and I would still go and then get fired or just give it on. Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Alexa is worried about you. Alexa is worried about you getting fired again, Nash. It's okay. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, just... well, were you so good at fixing all this equipment that no matter how many times you get fired, somebody was always going to call you up because you were that much in demand that you were so damn good at fixing this equipment and diagnosing the issues? To be honest, I wasn't, no. <laughs> if you go through the referrals and my ex-colleagues, I don't think they'll have a lot of good things to say because all I was do was just try to get out early and then come in late to work. It's not the same thing with cricket, though. <laughs> I don't think there are a lot of people who would say nice things about me at work. But yeah, it was, well, there were, some of the guys helped me to get a job in California. That didn't work out because I didn't want to move to Cali at that point. There was an opportunity in Jersey from one of the cricket guys that I had to turn down because there was a tour coming up. So it was all just short-term focuses. <laughs> so none of these places that you were, none of them are, are have a framed photo in a jersey with Nastish Kenjigays. This is our proud ex-employee. <laughs> there's one, one, one or two bosses. Ruben was a very good boss. Even there's, a, there's, there's one team from the first job that I worked at. They were very supportive of at least those two weeks and then giving me those offs when I needed just for the Friday or Thursday training camp. But at that point, yeah, you can only expect so much from the corporate world here. They're not going to pay you and say, go play cricket, all the cricket that you want and we'll take care of you. That's just not going to happen. So it was just realistic that I know, you know, I just quit at that point. But until then, I obviously couldn't let them know that I'm here for only so long because then they wouldn't take me in the first place. So I think I was a little selfish in, in those acts, but I just got the job done, just the bare minimum. I would just do the bare minimum and keep everyone happy, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the first job that you described, you said, well, one of my bosses was actually happy. It's like, oh, <laughs> we got somebody who plays for USA. And then by the second, third tour, I was like, oh, geez, we got somebody who plays for USA. That's exactly what would happen, yes. <laughs> so the first time I went on a tour, they would be excited, send out emails, send out send out all kinds of pamphlets to everybody, that, this, that. And then by the time the third tour came about, they said, is this all you're going to do? <laughs> yeah, no, wasn't pretty. <laughs> all right. So you said you were fired from three jobs. How many did you quit? Did you lose track? Quit as in I lost. Um, so it was more of, me turning down offers more than they they selecting me and then me quitting. I'm a kind of person who's fighting. It's very hard to say no. So there would be times when I would say yes, join, and then they would fire me. I would just wait for them to fire me. <laughs> so for me to quit, I think there's just one place where it was a mutual thing where I told him, listen, this is not going to work out because we have a full calendar coming up. And then it was mutual. Yeah. Now we're, we're laughing about it now. You said it's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. No, no. <laughs> You've made it to the USA. You're now a full-time player. But aside from the personal stress, I, I would imagine this put you through at certain times. What was your family thinking? 
the first two three years they were they were over the moon i mean if i was excited they would they were 100 times like more excited they would go around telling all the family and sending pictures of me the articles because i think that is one thing they if you ask them 15 20 years ago what they wanted me to do they would say play cricket for the country and that is what i've been doing so the first two three years they were okay with it and then there comes a time when they start asking you are they looking after you what's what's with the contracts is there any certainty is there any kind of a plan because there was a time when you would play one tournament and then you wouldn't know what's going to happen next for the next 3 4 months you just didn't know if there was a camp coming up and even if a camp came up it would be with one week's notice so it wasn't it wasn't the best ideal situation but at all times they've been 100% supportive so if not for them it would have been much harder um they they've just told me just do whatever you think best suits you because that comes from the fact that i think because they know i can go back i think they think that i can go back to the medical field but i don't know if i can go back to that field uh, so one of my other motives to just keep performing and doing the best i can is because i don't want to go back to the medical field and work there <laughs> but definitely 100% i mean they can't ask for anything better so they're just happy what made you so driven or so determined to actually believe and stick with this and not give up and not say all right you know what i've been fired from three jobs or you know what it had been four jobs or five jobs or it was there a certain point where you where you had set kind of like a a deadline in your own mind where you said all right if we don't have full-time contracts or if we don't get ODI status then you know what i've got to really prioritize earning and i can't keep doing what i'm doing because after a certain point even after i retire by the time you know you're 35 40 might not have cricket you still got to have a job after cricket and you could be burning future lifelong career prospects did any of that ever enter your mind or were you just thinking in the immediate no matter what happens i'm just going to continue pursuing this until it fails or you know it just it just doesn't have because i don't have a plan b yeah i remember in 26 when I, when i um in 2017 when tom evans was running the whole combines and i made it to the 30 he sent a email he said this is going to be a long term plan where it's a five year plan we're looking at developing players for the next five years picking a team making a good culture this was along with pogudu so i knew i would give it everything for those five five years at least so until 2022 i just knew it would just be cricket obviously you don't want to put timelines in in a sport because five years is a very long time in any sport in the back of my head i just knew it would be five years of just cricket i didn't mind not having a job and what not until 2022 but then as years rolled on by um we started so we would we knew we made it to the odis and we have a world cup in 2023 there's a t20 world cup next year there's a t20 world cup in 2024 So one thing let one other I think it's just having those goals in mind if you ask me today like I want to give it everything so whatever I do whatever I'm doing today I just want to make sure that I keep giving my best until maybe the 2024 world cup again like if you ask me if we if you interview me in 2027 then I can go backward and connect the dots but right now it's very hard so it's just giving your best every day and then just you know taking it day by day and just staying in the present but we have so much cricket now in the calendar there's so much to look forward to and at the same time it's you got to keep improving because it's not going to get any easier and you mentioned the 2024 T20 World Cup and there's also another T20 World Cup coming up next year nash you were the leading wicket taker in the last 
T20 tournament you played for USA in North Carolina. You took 12 wickets for USA in 2018, and you haven't been picked in a T20 match for USA since then. What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, apart from work, I think even in cricket, even when you get picked for US, there's always going to be up and downs. It's not in my control. Like, I cannot control a few things, but I'm obviously disappointed that I've not been in the T20 mix in, in the last tournament as well. So all I can do from my end is just keep getting better. I just want to make sure that I'll be the best that I can ever be. So it's just about getting up every day and just trying to do that. But looking, yeah, I think I had a good tournament in North Carolina. So it was a little surprising after that that I haven't played. Um, but there's so much cricket to go. So just got to be optimistic and keep looking forward. Are we going to have to organize a protest, a picket outside of uh, DeBartolo Way in, in Santa Clara, <laughs> outside of Parag Marathi's office at Levi Stadium to get you back into the uh-huh. T20 team? <laughs> well, we haven't. Yeah, I think we've played about what, five to ten games now of T20 that I haven't played. But uh, Well, you didn't you know, go on the Bermuda Tour. So Bermuda 2019, I can say the reason why USA lost that, that <laughs> didn't qualify in Bermuda in 2019, they left out Nasus Kenjike. What happened? <laughs> the, the, this recent tour, now, you know, they went undefeated. So there, there's a little bit less of um, an argument to try and squeeze you back into the team. But two years ago, the Nash energy, the Nash, the Nash firepower, it wasn't there. Yeah, personally, it was a big disappointment because I'd done well before that as well. But there's been so many changes in terms of management as well because Pubudu left and then the new set of coaches came. I think they stayed for some time and then now Jack is here. So... It was all a transition period where sometimes it happens because different coaches have different plans and then there's they're still new, so they're figuring it out. But I think for me as a player, I cannot be looking at all those things. It's what's got me so far is what I've been doing on the field. So I have to just continue doing what I do. And I'm just glad that we did well in um, Antigua and we have a big series in Zimbabwe up next so all I can do is prepare do you consider yourself just now a 50 over bowler or do you really target a way to get back into the T20 team no definitely not no if you ask me like I haven't labeled myself as a 50 bowler or a T20 or anything of that sort because obviously I haven't played but it's because the selectors haven't picked me it's not that I don't want to play or anything like that so I would obviously love to play and be part of the T20 side where I can do well. Um, I want to win games for the US team. So that's what I want to do, irrespective of T20, 50. And I think if you have the skills for 50, you definitely have the skills for T20. You just need to be a little smarter and stay ahead of the game. Um, I will get my chance at some point. So I just need to make sure I'm prepared when that chance comes. You heard it here first. Naj said he's getting his chance. He's going to make it happen. <laughs> get out of his way. Get out of his way. I know, Peter. I just said, I will get a chance at some point. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so I just got to be ready when that comes. USA's got the two T20Is and three ODIs. First ever matches against a test nation for USA on American soil. Again, 2004, USA played Australia and New Zealand, but that was in England. First matches for USA on American soil against the Test Nation. What would it mean to you to be a part of a starting 11 in December in Florida for that series? Oh, it's a big series, right? So it's, there's a lot riding on it. Um, Ireland obviously is a great side. They've just beaten England. They're, they're a top top 10 nation. So it'll be a good experience. Um, you always want to see how you fare with these guys. Um, 
you play the sport to know where you stand against the top guys so it will be really good series um it's it's our home ground in florida so we obviously have the advantage five games it's it's definitely going to be fun yeah what are you most looking forward to about that experience i think it's just the experience of playing against a top team um yes we have played against other top teams too but this is one team that's they know what they're doing they're very skillful and they play to their strengths um on their day they can be explosive but at the same time like i play the we play the sport because you need to look at your side and not worry about who you're playing you just want to compete with the best so it'll be nice to see where you stand against this top team and then there are going to be more teams that are going to be of similar caliber in june so it's just a test in the short term that you can access just know where you stand and stuff yeah one or two other questions before we get to the favorite 11 Mm-hmm. Your dad, your your family. Now you've gotten a, a chance to play for USA all around the world, but one of the most special experiences I would imagine for you was going to Nepal in February 2020 because your dad, your mom and I think some of your aunts, your your mom's sisters I believe came to Nepal. They were in the crowd in Kathmandu. There was a special VIP section just for the <laughs> American fans and your family made up the overwhelming majority of that VIP American fan section and I'll, I'll never forget you were on the field as a subfielder in one game at mid off I believe it was and you took this insane one-handed leaping catch on the ring and the whole stadium went silent it was against Nepal I believe and the only person I could hear in the stadium when the stadium went silent was your dad it could only have been your dad who went yes yes <laughs> started screaming going out of his mind. <laughs> I thought what a cool moment it was for your dad and your family to be there. Take us through that moment that experience. What did it mean for you to for the first time to have your parents and your family be able to see you in person and and have a special moment like that? Yeah, it's truly a, spe- a special feeling when your family comes all the way to watch you play for US. So, yeah, you're right. It was my dad, mom, aunt, uncle, So they were they came all the way to Nepal to watch us play in Nepal and it was a packed stadium. The crowd there was insane. I'm not sure of the numbers but we were playing Nepal and I just found out that I won't be playing. So I was extra disappointed because they were there and then I wasn't playing. So I was just sitting there just watching the game, giving drink the drinks out and stuff and then I was called into field because I was the 12th man. And I just think every 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 small chance that you get is an opportunity so i mean obviously now it feels like oh wow i just took that catch and it was insane and but at that point i, I just wanted to do the best that i could when i went in obviously i was disappointed i couldn't bowl or anything but at that point all i was thinking was do well any half chance something that i can contribute to the team then it worked out in such a way that they were watching and then i happened to take that very good catch so they were excited um, um they have been the biggest fans for me during all these years so something to cherish for the rest of the tour for them apart from their shopping and <laughs> them having fun yeah just that small little moment <laughs> for somebody who is an american citizen who grew up mostly in india to then come to america and it's not just the cricket you said you touched on it you characterize you come to america and it's a place that you love because if you put in the work you're going to get rewarded for it So what does it mean to you to be an American first and foremost and what does it mean to you to be able to represent USA I think it's it's a land of opportunities right like 
I still think compared to other places here, you can build what you want to want to showcase to the world. So if you have something to showcase to the world, you can always build it. If you have the right foundations, if you have the right perspective and the right focus and stuff like that, I think it's a place where people will help and support you to build your dream. I think that's true here because remember when I came in 2015, like I could have been passed on because I hadn't lived here and stuff like that, but they were still supportive. And at this point, I'm just thinking win games for the US team. So there's no other anything else that I'm thinking about. It's just, yeah, whichever game I play, just be a match winner. And you have been a match winner on numerous occasions for USA. <laughs> and you will be in the future, not just with the ball, but with that reverse sweep and the switch fit, which was a thing of beauty in Texas at the USA National Championships. Now, Nash, I got I to gotta give you a hard time a little bit on this. You posted some photos I saw on social media of, of, uh-huh. of the team at the Nationals and you playing for the Southwest, captaining the Southwest. But the photo you didn't post was you playing the switch hit in the reverse sweep. I, I made sure to get a shot of you doing it and you didn't put it out there for the world to see. What gives, man? Oh, there's a story behind that, Peter. So <laughs> what happened was, first I went through the photos that USA Cricket had posted and I just saw those three photos. That's it. Of me. Nothing else. <laughs> so I said, come on, Peter, you missed all the shots from the previous game. <laughs> and you just have one shot of me just just batting with Shashant and there's no nothing shots, no shots of me playing the ball. And then I take those three pictures, post it. And then the same evening, an email comes regarding the whole summary of the nationals. And they say, if you want to see the photos, click here. And then I open, I click there and I see all these photos from Peter De La Pena showing me missing the switch hit, playing the scoop and I go, damn it. <laughs> now what am I going to do about these photos? <laughs> and those are good photos as well. So I'd already posted these three. I said, no, I'm not going to push and post some more. <laughs> oh. uh, you scored an unbeaten 85 in one match. A match winning unbeaten 85. To go from a number 11 where you started your career for USA to now be so highly regarded that you were promoted above Jasper and Malhotra of 173 not out fame and six sixes fame. And, and Saurabh Nechavalkar, he was giving me a hard time. I, I said, after you made that score, we were in the hotel in, in Houston and I said, oh, I, I guess Jack was, was pressuring. Jack, Jack knew what he was doing, putting Naj at, at number five ahead of Jasper. Saurabh goes, Jack. What do you mean, Jack? Who says it was? My, who says it wasn't my idea? You don't want to give me any credit. What if I was the one who thought it? I'm the one who believes in Nash's batting. So, so, quick, take us through the evolution of Nash's Kenjigay from number eleven to all the way up to number five to USA, and in the middle over to the Southwest as a reverse sweeping, switch hitting, scooping demon. Well, the first thing about Southwest is I was the captain. So, you know, I don't have anybody to answer to except the coach. So I just pad up and walk in. <laughs> well, no, in all seriousness, I think Jack has been very instrumental. Um, he's given me the confidence that I can bat. That's very important because if it comes from the coach and the coach believes that you can bat, it really helps. And even from the times of Pubudu, where he's helped me through my batting, it's just been a gradual process where I've just got better, better. Um, there's still a lot more work to do. I still need to score a lot of runs. I think it's just from the support from guys like Saurabh and Jack who have believed in me. And 
it's just helped me just concretely believe in myself more and then just train and train and I was just happy I got the runs in nationals but again like I just need to keep working and make sure I keep piling I keep scoring runs Nash, I believe in you too. I, I put you in most of my spots in the minor league dream 11. I can see a century in the future for Nash Tushkenjigay for USA. Make it happen, Nash. Shop it after the post on Twitter. Yeah, I should. <laughs> my brother sent that to me and I said, what, what is going on here? <laughs> oh, All right. Favorite 11 train. time, Nash. Favorite 11. <laughs> So 11 questions, now, r- random things, cricket and non-cricket. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour? Xavier Marshall. <laughs> Why the X-Man? It's just that right now we are so comfortable. Like I just know what time he wakes up, how much time he needs at the restroom, and then it's time for me to go in. And then it's all it's all a, just a good mechanism where we know what time he comes out, what time I go in, what temperature we need in the room, when does curtains close. <laughs> so we have been grooming for a long time um so yeah i would stick with him <laughs> you said you're waiting on on his routine shouldn't he be waiting on your routine you're the big dog in the in that room <laughs> well, um i don't know about that i want to see what he says about that <laughs> your favorite way to spend a 14 plus hour long haul flight I would say audible. I like to, I don't like to read books because I just don't have the patience, but I like to listen to books. So I would listen to a book. You currently live in Texas. Talked about you started off in Virginia and New York. You're now a resident in Texas. <laughs> Grew up in India. So what is the favorite city that you've lived in? That's a hard one. Um, can I give you two? <laughs> I'll give you a couple of them. Bangalore. <laughs> Bangalore and Dallas. <laughs> If we had to make a pick of the two, which would you choose? For the current situation, Dallas. Your favorite cricket ground experience that you've had as a player or as a fan? There have been quite a few that come to mind. A few way. I would go with Charger. Yeah, just the whole vibe of, you know, I'd watch Sachin Bad and Charger and then um, just to stay in this thing when we played against UAE and Scotland to go to that same dressing room and the same pitch and the same ground, just relive. You, I could see like what Sachin would have hit and how people would have done that, this, and to play that, yeah, Shaja. Your favorite cricketer of all time? Has to be Rahul Dravid. A fellow Carnatican. Why Rahul Dravid? Just the way he goes about his business off and on the field. Like, I think I've told you before, like, there would be times when he was the Indian test captain, but when he was in Bangalore, he would come back and play for his club, the first division club that he plays for, and he would still field all the 90 overs standing in slips, even when he didn't have to. Like, he can just, just go sit down, come back, and then go back and sit down. But he wouldn't do that. Like, he would make sure he's fully committed to the team, dive around and just stand in slips all day long and help the boys out. The things that he does, yeah, dedication, commitment, the passion that he has. Your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? Good Fedra. Fedra comes to mind. Just his poise outside, like we all know what he does on the tennis court, but the impact that he's had outside as well. Just a perfect role model. No controversies, just, yeah. Your favorite place to eat out 
on tour away from home? That's a hard one. I'm not a footy. I know you love five guys in Chick-fil-A, but <laughs> um, usually I'm, so what I usually do is for breakfast, I usually have my own oats. So I carry my breakfast wherever I go. And usually for dinner, I'm not the kind of guy who would go out and try a certain thing. It would just be go with the guys, whoever they go, wherever they go, just go eat. But I like Thai food. I like Thai. I like sushi. Interesting. Thai food is very popular in Australia. When I did my semester abroad there, that was the first place where I discovered Thai food is very, very, very popular. I don't really see too many Thai restaurants around the U.S. It's more you see a lot of Chinese restaurants and Indian restaurants, but it's very hard. Where, where is the Thai restaurant that you would find on the road? I'm curious. The one we went to last time in Cali. So when we had the camp, Saurabh took us to a place. Um, I don't remember the name, but that was a really nice Thai place. Yeah, I've never found hard hard to get Thai food though. Yeah, maybe if you don't go to Five Guys, if you don't look up Five Guys, you should find it. <laughs> I, I like my Five Guys. Come on, come on, Nash. Nothing wrong with good Five Guys, especially when they actually remember to give you your fries instead of claiming that they run out of them when they actually have it in the liars. And it was just one one bad experience in New Jersey though. What what would be your what's your go to dish on a Thai menu? What would you typically order at a Thai restaurant? Um, I usually like red curry or green curry. And then, um, yeah, one of those two, just those curries. As the proud son of the finest grower of coffee in Karnataka, what is your favorite type of coffee? Um, it's a filter coffee. <laughs> so that <laughs> You don't have a specific type of bean, like a, a, a particular bean that you would say you want to have brewed? It's just filtered um, coffee? We'll go with um, Arabica. Arabica. Oh, yes. Yeah. Arabica beans. Yes. I know the Arabica beans. Robusta is good too, but yeah, stick to Arabica. Arabica beans. Okay. Your favorite type of pizza topping? Definitely not pineapple. <laughs> but go with pepperoni. Your favorite movie of all time? There's a Hindi movie. It's called Three Idiots. I don't know if you've watched it. I am well aware of Three Idiots. It's got uh, Amir Khan is one of the idiots. Uh-huh. I know that much. That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> so much meaning in that movie. Oh, I know. All I remember from that movie, Nash, mm-hmm. all is well. All is well. All is well. <laughs> all is well. <laughs> all the time. Yep. All I is well. I must have watched it three, four times when I was younger. So much meaning. All is well. Finally, your favorite show to binge watch, whether it's on Netflix Amazon Prime, Hulu, Paramount Plus, your other favorite streaming service du jour or DVD box set. If you're locked away in quarantine on a tour or just have all sorts of time to kill. Now that you don't have to go servicing all those medical devices and you can just train and play cricket and you got free time to spare. What is your go-to show to binge watch? I love The Office. Yeah, that's something I could binge watch all day. <laughs> now, then, which one is it the UK version or the US version? Um, that's on that's on Netflix. I don't know if it's what version is. I think. No, the, the UK US version, version. The main role was Ricky Gervais, and the US version is Steve Carell, who is the main role yeah, in the Steve Office. Carrell. Yeah, Steve Carell. The Steve Carell version of the Office. Yeah. And Silicon Valley. I don't know if you watched it. I watched the first season or so of Silicon Valley. I, I stopped after. I've, I've heard it's since gotten very good after the first season. I, I kind of threw in the towel after the first season. So the last, yeah, the last one month and a half, I've been just watching Silicon Valley. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, Nastush Kenjigay, the king of the desert. Thank you for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. I'll give you the final word. Anything else that you want to share with all the underlings in the desert that you'd like them to know about you that they don't already know? <laughs> no, nothing else. Um, I would just like to congratulate my brother who just got married. I couldn't be there because of all the commitments here, but Shashank, I wish you a happy married life. I know you'll be watching this later. But apart from that, thank you, Peter, for getting the U.S. cricket word out to everyone the worldwide. Like you, I think you've done a superb job. But since I've been here, at least, like I don't know when you started, <laughs> but you've covered each and everything. So it goes out a long way because otherwise, yeah, not many people do it. So thank you for getting the word out on U.S.A. cricket. Astish Kenjigay, USA national team, all-rounder. There's no doubt about it. It's, he's not just a left-arm spinner anymore. He's a true all-rounder. Reverse sweeping and switch hitting his way sooner or later to a century. It's going to happen. Nash, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Peter. Always a pleasure. Yeah, good fun. Whether you watch this episode on YouTube or you listen to the audio version, the smile is ever-present in Nastush Kenjige in his face and in his voice. Few people have more fun and with good reason. He's had quite a fun journey getting to the national team and took some risks that have paid off and he continues to enjoy success as a reward for all that payoff and hard work and that continues against Ireland at the end of December when Nasus Kenjige will be part of the ODI squad in the three matches that USA will take on Ireland. Those ODIs December 26th, 28th, and 30th at the Broward County Stadium in Florida. I want to remind everybody that you can, as I said, subscribe to the podcast in video form on YouTube or in audio format on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and numerous other podcasting platforms. That's it for this week's episode. I want to wish everybody a very, very Merry Christmas, and I hope to see some of you at the Broward County Stadium in Florida over the course of the five matches that USA plays against Ireland. Until next time, I'm Peter Dolapena reminding everybody, God bless America, and God bless American cricket.